Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. A few weeks ago, I spoke to you about doubt. And the context there was the disciples who were coming to Jesus after his resurrection. They had seen the resurrected Jesus, and they came with this worshipful attitude. They came, the word said, to worship him. And the very next words were, but some doubted. And that was really interesting to see that in times of coming to the Lord and to worship him, there were those who had sincere, still questions and doubts. Matthew, the gospel writer, he used the same word, and he only used it twice in his entire gospel writing. He used the same word to describe that doubt of the disciples who were coming to worship Jesus as he used for Peter when he was sinking in the water after he stepped out of a boat to walk on water, and he began to sink. And why was that? Why did that doubt arise in Peter's mind? Because he saw the wind and the waves and all that turmoil around him, and he had fear, and he began to sink. See, but the disciples who were in the uh, presence of the resurrected Jesus, and they came to worship him, where was the storm? They weren't in a storm. There was no wind. There was no waves. And yet, they experienced this similar kind of doubt, at least in the mind of Matthew, the gospel writer, a doubt that's marked by panic and an uncertainty that is accompanied by heart-melting fear, like a guy who is sinking in a storm. And that's some powerful doubt. How could they experience such powerful doubt in the presence of Jesus? And the answer was, they're human. All of us are human and from time to time, our doubt, it can overpower our most certain assurances. And sometimes it's just a strange and bizarre experience, too. We know what we're assured of, and yet there's this nagging uncertainty that can flood in. And Jesus, of course, knows that. He experienced humanity. Jesus, our God, he took on human flesh. That's an amazing thing. He's acquainted with our weaknesses. The word of God tells us that. And of course, he came and he lived a life here on earth and he became acquainted with the weakness of the human condition. And how did he then respond to these doubters that he had grown close to and he had walked with and his human walk here on earth, how did he respond? He came closer to them. And then he commissioned them. He said, hey, get to work for me. Jesus uses failable humans. It's amazing, but he does. I'm so glad that I don't have to be perfect to be used by God. None of us do. Because if we had to be perfect to be used by God, God wouldn't be getting any work done here on earth by any humans because we're all failable. Jesus uses failable human beings just like us. 
And yet he is God, but he is God in human flesh. And this morning, I want to follow on from that message where Jesus welcomed these doubters. And I want to consider another biblical encounter with uncertainty and doubt and consider who it is we doubt, and that is God, the Lord, and some attributes of him when we doubt, and hopefully take away something this morning that might help us when uncertainty, when doubt rushes in. So I want to bring you an example, an incident in the life of the great patriarch Moses, and it's an account that's given in Numbers chapter 11. And this is after Moses had led the Hebrew people out of bondage in Egypt. They'd been slaves for some 400 years in Egypt. And they'd been taken away. Moses came in. God had directed him. Many great signs and miracles. Took those people out of bondage. And he plundered the Egyptians as he did so without having to raise arms. Now they'd been in in a state of freedom, liberty, for just a little over a year. When you get to Numbers chapter 11, it's about 14 months. They're in the wilderness. They're at the mountain called Sinai. They're going to move. And through this time, God's been providing for them. God's provided uh, food for them, manna from heaven. But after 14 months of eating this manna, something happened. And so I bring this incident to you where Moses then, he had this this bout of doubt. Numbers 11, I'm going to read uh, verses 4 through 6 and 10 through 15 to, to begin to take in this incident. It says, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on the oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. Quite a prayer, don't you think? What was Moses' problem? 
the rabble, the raucous mob of uh, unruly malcontents who whined. They whined about their food. We have no meat. We want meat. We're sick of this manna every single day. And they longed for Egypt. Fish, cucumbers, melons, leeks. And it's interesting that the, uh, the, the Bible would say they got it at no cost. They weren't thinking of the bondage, the slavery that they were in. Now, that's quite a cost to get some fish and melons. These people that had been enslaved for 400-some years, they'd been free just about a year. Freedom's still a new experience. And yet, they want to go back to their masters, back to centuries of bondage. And how did their leader respond well, first thing he did, he, he didn't confront the complainers. And that's, that's probably a pretty good example. He went straight to God. And he poured out his heart. This is not some watered-down prayer, is it? Moses poured out his heart to God. He was desperate before God. And how desperate was he? so desperate, so down, so despondent that he asked God to take his own life. If I found favor in your eyes, God, think about this for a minute. If you're saying to God, if I found favor, if I found favor in your eyes, God, aren't you usually asking for something grand? Lord, if I found favor in your eyes, you know that new car that I've been longing for would be wonderful. You know that place I've had my eye on. Lord, if I found favor in your, in your eyes, you'd bless me with that, that promotion. And here's Moses' prayer. Lord, if I found favor in your eyes, kill me. Kill me now. Don't let me see my own ruin. Why, God? Why is this happening? Why are you treating me like this? What have I done? What have I done to displease you? Where can I get meat for all these whining people? God, if this is how you're going to treat me, take me now. Just kill me. Have you ever had such a desperate prayer? Have you ever made such a cry to God? Have you ever felt so hopelessly hemmed in as if you were surrounded by something impossible, like a, a rabble of people who want something that you can't give them? so confused, you don't know what to do. You just curl up in a fetal position before the Lord and say, take me. That is a prayer of desperation. To pray such a prayer, you'd have to be hopeless. And I'm sure at, at many times we felt hopeless, so distraught and depressed that we cried out to God like Moses and if you have, if you've done that, if you've been at that place where you've had desperate prayers, you might sympathize with what Moses was going through. And if you do, keep on going. Don't stop at his desperate prayer. Keep going and find hope. See what happened in Moses' case. Because a great thing happened after his prayer. And let's look at that. God answered We'll continue. Numbers 11, verses 18 to 20. God's answer. 
God said, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, 10 or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and you have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? So God heard Moses' prayer. He heard this desperate cry for help. And God was not only going to give the people meat to eat, he was going to deal with the rabble. They were going to get meat, not just for a day or a week or uh, three weeks, but for a whole month. And even though God's anger was kindled, God was angry, and he said to the people, you're going to get sick of this. It's going it's to be coming out your nose. You're going to loathe it. You're going to get sick of this. Just like you got sick of eating manna. One might guess Moses would be happy with this turn of events. I mean, he was asking God to kill him. Now God says, listen, I'm going to do something. I'm going to feed all these people. I'm going to take care of the troublemakers. I'm not going to kill you, Moses. I'm going to help you. I'm going to take care of business. And God spoke directly to him. God spoke directly to Moses. And Moses received a personal promise. You see, Moses had a special relationship with God. It's a, it's a relationship that we don't necessarily have. Moses and God communicated one-on-one -on -one in a direct way. Aaron, Moses' brother, Miriam, Moses' sister, they were great. They were a man and a woman of God, but they did not share that same relationship with God like Moses did, even though at one point they tried. In Numbers chapter 12, it tells us that God speaks to prophets and dreams and envisions, but with Moses, Numbers 12 says, I speak to him directly, face to face, clearly, without riddles, and wouldn't we all love that? Wouldn't life be so much greater if we could just say, hey, God, we need to talk, and God would talk to us. But that's really yet an experience to come for us where we'd have that face-to-face. -face. We might not experience God as Moses did, but we have post-resurrection Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit of Almighty God who he promised to put into us and will give us direction and comfort and guidance. And we have God's word. We have the scriptures. And in scripture, there's principles for us. And there's promises that apply to us. And we can take them away. Even though we may not be sitting on the mountain like Moses, we have promises to us in God's word. Like Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and humble and find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now that's something that we all can receive. Come to Jesus, find rest for your souls, release the burden, be renewed, be refreshed, especially if you're in that time of desperation. 
And when we pray, we can stand on those promises, promises like Jesus said, and find freedom, freedom from our burdens. Moses predated the coming of Christ, but he could stand on the promises God made to him directly. Moses had already experienced many miracles, hadn't he? He had witnessed the ten plagues that God brought upon the Egyptians, and it was Moses who stood before the multitude of the Hebrews as the Egyptian army came pressing in from the rear, as the tide of the Red Sea rose on the front. And it was Moses who said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then what happened? The Red Sea, Moses lifted his staff, the sea parted. The people walked over on dry ground. And then his people were fed every single day with manna from heaven, another miracle. Now Moses had been part of all these powerful miracles. How would we expect him then to respond when God said, I'm going to supply meat for a month? He saw all these things. How is he going to respond? Let's look to see how Moses responded to God when he heard the word of the Lord. Now, again, remember, Moses had this great direct relationship with God. God spoke to him. So God said, I'm going to supply this meat. Here's how Moses responded. Numbers 11, verses 21 to 22. But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And God, you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough if the flocks and the herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? What had happened? What happened here to Moses? Here was the guy who said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Doubt, uncertainty crept in on this guy. He's looking at 600,000 men. Now, if we take into account women and children, he's got over a million people, maybe two million people. He's looking at the two million people, and he's looking up at God, and he's saying, seriously? Seriously? Can you picture him? Just take a, take a minute to try to picture Moses. God, hey, yeah, I was there when that river was turned into to blood, that was amazing. And the frogs, the frogs, yeah, lots of frogs and lice. Oh, and the flies, yeah, couldn't see with all the flies. Lord, that was incredible. And then that day where you, you took all of the Egyptian livestock and you got them all sick. Oh, and then what happened after that? The boils, that's right, the boils on the people. Man, those Egyptians were complaining. Whew. And that hailstorm. That hailstorm was something else. That was, that was beyond anything I'd ever seen. And then the locust came, an amazing cloud of locust. God, I thought you might have uh, outdone yourself with that one. But then darkness, darkness came. Darkness came on the entire land of Egypt, and there was light for us. There was light for us Hebrews in Goshen. <laughs> Pretty amazing stuff, Lord. 
pretty amazing. And then the Passover. The angel of death passed over all of us. And when, when the army was on us, and I was standing there before the Red Sea, and I told the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And the sea opened up, and we went through on dry ground. And, and then, Lord, you closed the sea. You closed the sea on the entire Egyptian army. I'm speechless, Lord. That was incredible, amazing. But God, you must have limits. You must. I mean, that was great stuff. But you are going to feed two million people meat in the desert for a month? <sighs> too much. Too much. I don't, I'm, you've, you've taken me too far, God. I just can't, I can't take it in. Moses, who had seen all of this, and he prayed to God. God said, I'm going to do it, Moses. I'm going to take care of you. No, just not buying it. Now, how many of us can say we've been there and we've done that? You know, we have things in, in our past we can look to and say, God was there. God helped me. I have a testimony. I've given my testimony. I've shared it with people. I've talked to them about how God has helped me in my life, but now I'm here at this point. And, mm -mm. Don't think God's going to be able to take care of me this time. Even after you've cried out and you've asked for help, then that doubt rushes in, and that doubt is a struggle. And it, it's something we can see in humanity, Jesus' followers, even after he did so many miracles in their sight, they continue to have doubts. You know, a storm comes on a boat after they see 5,000 people fed miraculously, and, and they shrink in fear. And Jesus says, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Moses was afraid. He was doubting God. He's looking at these people. God did not leave him hanging. God re responded again. Numbers eleven twenty three. God gave him an instant reply. The Lord ans answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not I will, what I say will come true for you. Is the Lord's arm too short? This is what God was saying to Moses after he doubted. God gave Moses a picture. Now, it's not as if God has hands and feet and arms and legs like we do, but he gave him this image, this image for him. Moses, is my arm too short, Moses, to take care of this issue? Moses, you think I've got a limit? You think I've reached a limit? See, and then what happened? Look at the, the rest of uh, Numbers 11. Verse 31 and 32, it all came true. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. And let me tell you, that's a lot. That's not 10 bushels. That's many, many bushels. And then they spread them out 
all around the camp. There was like three feet of quail that fell in a day's walk in any direction. We live in Michigan. Have you ever, have you ever plundered through uh, three feet of snow? Picture dead birds. These people gathered hundreds of pounds of quail. You think shoveling snow is a pain in the neck? Moses found out in short order, in quick time, the Lord's arm is not too short. When we doubt and when we wonder, is the Lord's arm too short? Can he take care of this or not? Think about these things. Consider these, these three things about God. And there's many more, but I just want to give you three to think about when that doubt, when that uncertainty rushes in, even though you're assured and you know God's promises. When God said to Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? He was expressing something. He was expressing, Moses, really, I got no boundaries. I have no limits. I'm not constrained by any distance. My arm is not too short to get anywhere. He was expressing the boundless extent of his almighty presence. God is not constrained by any distance. In other words, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's not constrained. He's not confined by any limits. God fills the entire universe. He is God. He is God right here, near to us. God close at hand. He's God far away. He's God at the, the farthest point uh, away from us in the universe. He is God in all and through all. All creatures, every single thing is under God's eye. And he knows. He knows the big things. And he knows when every single sparrow falls. Observation, life, living, it shows us that all creatures and all life, beyond even the border of what our naked eye can see, whether it's big or whether it's small, beyond the borders of nothing, the infinitesimal, so far as we can see it and so far as we can trace the works of Almighty God, there is a, a mutual connection in all of creation. Nothing subsists alone and by itself. One species of creature is supported by another. Even at the smallest, smallest, microscopic, single-cell organism, there's, there's proteins, and they all work together. They're all supplied by what God has created, the fruitfulness of the earth. It's because of what God has done. All the seasons, they're regulated by the sun that God hung up in the sky. It's held in place by this thing called gravity. God invented that. And all the other heavenly bodies are up there doing their thing. How vast is the extent of God's creation? The stars, the planets, the galaxies, they're all in their place and they're all in the universe by his hand. The whole of creation is sustained by his arm. Is it too short? Is the Lord's arm too short? 
No. God's power and his presence, they're not constrained by any distance. He's omnipresent. And neither is his presence constrained by any duration. If God reaches his arm out, is he going to get tired? Is he going to get worn out? Is time something that he's dependent on? No. God is eternal. God's power, his might, his dominion is from everlasting to everlasting. Almighty God is without beginning. I had a beginning. You had a beginning. Our world had a beginning. Everything created had a start. Creation had a beginning. Not so with the creator. God's not constrained by time. Hard to understand, but he's outside of it. And his arm is not shortened by the clock. You know, did God ever set out to accomplish something? He's like, ah, I missed that deadline. Oh, man. No. He's not constrained by time. A day is a thousand years. A thousand years is a day to the Lord. What does that tell us? That's not something that uh, the words of the Bible saying that one day is exactly a thousand years to God. No, it's telling us God's outside of time. And he's not constrained by it. Time doesn't shorten God's arm. No, he's eternal. He's outside the limits of time. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. His arm is not constrained by any uh, distance. It's not constrained by any duration because he's eternal. And nothing, nothing is too difficult for God. We prayed that. We heard that in our prayer request this morning. Pastor Julie praying, God is able. Now she prayed, is there anything too difficult for God? No, no. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Nothing is too difficult for God. You know, so number one, God is omnipresent. Number two, he's eternal. Number three, he's omnipotent. He's not constrained by any obstacle. What stands in his way? God is able. All things are possible by God, but do we believe it? And if we believe that God's omnipresent, that he's eternal, do we believe he's got enough power to accomplish what he wills? Paul encouraged the Ephesian church. He wrote, God is able to do immeasurably more than we can imagine according to his power. Not my power, not your power, according to his power. God's not only able, he's more than able. Omnipresent, eternal, omnipotent. Is God's arm too short? Is he too short for what you're dealing with? That was his answer to Moses. His answer was a question. Is the Lord's arm too short? And it's my answer to anyone. Anyone today who's doubting, anyone who's going through a difficulty, anyone who has got fear, since you were called, since you were converted, since you came to Jesus Christ and you were first visited with his grace, has the Lord's arm been too short? Let that thought inspire you this morning. Look back on the times where God has delivered you. And if God has graciously delivered you and he's delivered you from the curse of the law, should he not deliver you from you know, the power of sin? If you've been justified, shall he not also sanctify you? He's brought you out of bondage. The Egyptians 
had been plundered. The Hebrews were brought out of bondage. We've been brought out of this metaphorical Egypt. We've been brought out of the bondage of sin. Will God not guide us into his promised land? God didn't pluck us up from the pit to toss us back into the burning fires of hell. His word says, cast your cares and your burdens on him and he will sustain you. So when you pray, pray and wait the answer because God will give it. As Moses said to the Israelites when the Egyptian army was pressing in on them, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Surely the arm of God is not too short. We sung earlier this morning, my life is in your hands. Do you believe that? Have you put your life in his hands? And I mean sincerely, have you put your life in his hands? Because if you have, you've got to believe his arm's not too short for anything. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Do you want that rest this morning? Are you, is anyone dealing with something this morning? Are you dealing with something? I mean, if you're not, that's fine. Go in the grace of Almighty God. But if you're dealing with something, and you got just an inkling, just even an inkling of, oh, this is hard, and I'm not sure if, how it's going to work out, you know, stand up and come to these altars and pray. Pray and wait the answer. God's arm is not too short, and we'll pray with you. And we'll ask God to help you. And maybe you got to wait a day, maybe you got to wait a month, maybe you got to wait a while before God delivers and brings that answer. But I want to tell you, his arm is not too short for whatever it is, for whatever it is. Is your life in his hands? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Let, let's stand to our feet. And if there's any that need prayer, want prayer, desire prayer, if, if you have an inkling of any kind of fear, doubt, even if you just want to be encouraged and empowered, come on up to these altars and we'll pray with you. We'll take time right now to, to sing that song, My Life is in Your Hands. I give myself away. And if you're going to give yourself away, know that God's arm's not too short for you. Give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. Give myself away. Oh, give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Oh, we trust in you. I give myself away so you can use me. Lord, my life is in 
elders, deacons, workers, altar workers, come on up. There's people that want prayer. Come on, please, please. All our elders, deacons, come, come on. And uh, there's some folks here that need prayer and want prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Is there some that have still are receiving prayer here? Let's keep a great attitude of worship and prayer. And if you if you need to, you don't need to, to run out this morning. God's arm's not too short for whatever you're dealing with. But let's pray as we bring this meeting to a close. But no, these altars are open. And you can receive from the Lord today. Father, thank you for your holy presence. Thank you, God, for the examples we see in Scripture of great men and women, people who have struggled with their faith. God, you were faithful to them. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Let us be encouraged by what we see, by those who have human frailties like ours. Lord, may we be encouraged to know even when we doubt, when we have uncertainties, when we have fear, you're there for us. You're there, Jesus. You're meek and you're humble and you'll give us rest for our weariness and our burdens when we're 
casting them upon you. Thank you for that. Lord, thank you for your promises and your word. We trust you. Your arm's never too short. You're never not able to deal or take care of what we need. Thank you for that promise. God, Lord, may your people be blessed by it this morning. May your people be blessed as they depart. Cover them with your great and mighty blessings. Keep them, Lord. Watch over them. Overshadow them. Lord, we do give ourselves to you. Heart, mind, body, soul, spirit, all. God, because without you, we're nothing. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the salvation, for the rock that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that, God. And bless your people now as they go in Jesus' name. Amen.